I found this story by Douglas Burford to be very fitting to introduce our service today, our, our scripture study during the sermon. During his college years, he says, in his infinite wisdom, it occurred to him that it made no sense to stop at red traffic lights when there was clearly no car, no traffic around. Now, I know none of you have ever had that experience, but so anyway, Doug began to stop just briefly, just long enough to check for cars, and then he would proceed. His stops became shorter and shorter, and eventually he no longer stopped at all. He would simply check the landscape, look around, make sure that nothing was coming, and then proceed full speed through that red light. One experience changed all that, and he has never run a red light since. He was approaching an isolated light, red light, in an area where there was rarely traffic, even in the busiest of times. He had already done his check of the landscape and was near that empty intersection when a car topped topped the hill to his left. It was too far away to pose any threat But it did pose a problem. It was a police car. But that is not what changed his ways, because he got the car stopped and received no more punishment than a dirty glance. What scared him enough to put an end to that practice was what occurred in the split seconds between spotting the patrol car and getting the car stopped. In that instant, His foot moved from the gas pedal to the brake pedal and then back to the gas pedal. He did not will it to do that. His foot just did it. His foot did that because that is how he had trained his mind to respond. He had continually ignored what had been a clear signal to stop, that red light, and as a result, that signal was no longer clear. Sometimes God gives us signals as clear as red traffic lights through our God-given conscience. And we can heed those warnings or we can ignore them. If we ignore them often enough, as Doug had done, we may eventually fail to recognize them as signals at all. Be careful how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, we read. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In these two phrases, we see that the will of the Lord is the opposite of foolishness. The will of the Lord is wiseness. Wisdom, discerning that wisdom, understanding God's will is what faithful believers attempt to do. And the writer of this letter guides us in that direction. The writer to the Ephesians gives us the antidote to foolishness, to temptations, to debauchery. And that is, if you can remember the scripture or if you want to check back, that is to be drunk not with wine, but with what? 
You can cheat and look inside your bulletin. Not to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit. With the Spirit of God. See? Just took you a little while. During Abraham Lincoln's tenure as president, he was visited by a guest who tried to flatter him. He said, Back in my home state, people say the welfare of the nation depends on God and Abraham Lincoln. And Lincoln humbly responded, You're half right. And he later said, Without divine assistance, I cannot succeed. With it, I cannot fail. The Holy Spirit of God is the divine assistance of which Lincoln spoke. It's the spirit that Jesus promised to his disciples when he was getting ready to go back to be with God. A young man might give a promise ring to his girlfriend before going off to war or college so that she'll remember his promise to come back to her. Jesus offers a gift of promise which tops any other. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, since I'm going to be gone. Another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. And then he says, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not be afraid. A Sunday school teacher was trying to communicate that Jesus is always with us, even though we can't see him. And one four-year-old claimed to understand the concept. He said, I know who he is. He's the one who opens the doors at the grocery store. Not exactly. But the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God, is always at work. In unseen ways, to open doors, though not at the grocery store, to open doors for us and to give us divine assistance. Whether we're worthy of such generosity has nothing to do with it. God makes this divine assistance available to everyone. In a January lecture, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann said that people of affluence, like us, get a kind of amnesia that makes us forget how dependent we are on God. Instead, we try to depend on ourselves. We think that we are autonomous, like Baptist churches, self-governing. That's how we see ourselves. C.S. Lewis wrote about this erroneous but prevalent view of God. 
that we regard God as an airman regards his parachute. It's there for emergencies, but he hopes he'll never have to use it. But truly, this is exactly the opposite of who God is for us through the Holy Spirit. God's will. Have you all heard that term and really wondered what it meant? I remember hearing, I guess I'm thinking about college. People seem to talk about God's will a lot in college, maybe because the future is so uncertain. It's a mysterious term. It's almost like you're reaching for something, but you can't quite grasp it. If you break it down, though, which I've tried to do over the years, God's will is that which God wills for us. Soren Kierkegaard would say, God wills the good. God wants or wills the good. God's spirit helps us determine God's will, helps us determine what God wants for us. Some will depend on God's spirit to help them determine what outfit to wear on a particular day or which route they will take that day. Should I take Williamson Road or 581? Hmm, God, what do you think? Others will turn to God's spirit only for major decisions, whether to make a career change or whether to plan a lifelong relationship with one's current sweetheart. The world is always pulling us to do what we will or what we want and not necessarily what God's God wills or wants for us to do. Additionally, God's will is not only what God wants us to do, but who or whom, I'm not sure which, you can tell me later, who God wants us to be. Learning about Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, as many of you will do in depth, This coming year, if you decide to be a part of a transformation journal group, learning about Jesus helps us to know, will help us to know who God wills us to be. Again, not just what God wants us to do, what God wants us to be inside. As the unique son of God, Jesus was able to act with full understanding of what God wanted him to do in every situation. And I think, oh, I wish that would happen with me. We know we can't be like Jesus, but we can move in his direction. Just like exercising builds our muscles, studying Jesus and seeing how powerful his life was builds our spirits. We gain power, we gain strength to rid ourselves of our old habits and replace them with Christ-like ones. Examining Jesus' life helps us to understand God's will. Through scripture and through our attention to our conscience, 
God's Spirit is available to us at all times as divine assistance to help us understand God's will. Now again, I used to think of God's will as like some sort of tall, straight tree. And if you were imagining imagining it, you might see the word G-O-D apostrophe S-W-I-L-L on this straight, tall tree trunk. We had, as Christians, we had to be faithful, or to be faithful, we had to stay on that tree trunk. There was one way. To crawl off onto a branch was like going to hell. Because God would be mad at me if I chose the wrong way. That has changed over time. I hope and pray that my current understanding is more mature, but who knows? Hopefully we'll find out one day. But instead of a tree, I see God's will as more like a spider web. We don't come to a branch in the tree where we have to make a choice between only two directions with one right and one wrong. Because often we don't have only two choices. And if we do, both may be good. Instead, I think we have numerous directions we can go. And many of the routes that we can take are good ones. And even if we mess up, which we probably will, we can still just take a few more turns and get back to a good place. To the question, how do I understand God's will, the author of Ephesians gives a surprising answer by singing. More than once with our little ones, when explanations and hugs and rocking don't calm the crying, a song will. Whether the words are archaic or fresh, set to a hymn or to hip-hop, sing. Funnel into your brains decent songs with decent lyrics because they stick with you. When I worked for the Baptist Audiovisual Center in Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa, one of my big projects was to create a recording of scripture songs. They had a book called Follow the Master, and it was for people who were learning to be disciples of Christ. And they had 11 different memory verses. So we ran a contest and invited people to set those scripture verses to music. For the winners, we recorded their songs. And we put it on a cassette. This was 17 years ago. And all these years later, I can still quote 2 Timothy 3.16 because I learned it all those years ago set to music. Would I be wrong in suggesting that most of us can quote many more hymn verses than scripture verses? So I've been giving some thought to singing my sermons each week. I know, just kidding. Don't worry. Hymns with good lyrics help us to understand the will of God. So let me ask that when you sing a song in worship, don't turn off your brain and just mouth the words. And if you choose not to sing 
Read and pay attention to the words that others are singing. The words were written for a spiritual purpose. And the hymns we sing each Sunday in Calvary are chosen carefully so that most of them will have at least one hook that you can hang on the scripture passage or the theme for that day's worship. By doing so, Mark and I hope and pray that you will have a more well-rounded and memorable experience of the day's scripture lessons. Today in our hymns, we have worshipped the King and celebrated God's wonderful love, as well as God's place as our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. We have read a psalm and sung our praise to the God of all creation. Soon we will remind ourselves and each other to take time to be holy. Take time to talk to God and listen to God, because when we do that, we will be led by God's Spirit. We will. As I was looking through the hymnal, I found that the lesson is wrapped up well in the third verse of hymn number 113. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and take out your hymnals and, and look at that song. Whether or not you grew up in church, I bet it's familiar to you. Let's sing the third verse together. Jesus loves me still today, walking with me on my way, wanting as a friend to give light and love to all who live. Yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Carry the tunes and their lessons with you from this place into the week ahead. If the hymns don't answer your questions, consult the God of the universe who also listens for you and then responds in quiet but powerful ways. Let's pray. Holy One, continue to hear our prayers for your guidance, for hope, for wisdom, and for vision. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.